Hello and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers, Double Down Edition. Double Down. We are back. My name is Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And it's been it's been a bit since our last Double Down. It has been a while. I can't remember if there's a special intro or if we're supposed to say anything. I, I think there is a gag about Double Down. That sounds right. That sound, that's probably what we did. <laughs> well, Ethan, maybe we should mention why we're back with Double Down. Why are we back, Matt? Well, it's a great way to show you, patrons of the arts, some extra content, give you a reminder as to why you are graciously supporting us, because we are so appreciative, we're so appreciative that we're doing these bonus episodes for you. S- even more bonus content for you wonderful, wonderful human beings. And usually there's a reason why we do it, and we've been talking, it seems, pretty often about those darn Marvel films. We shit on them all the time. (laughs) And we said, you know what? Maybe we should put our money where our mouth is, watch a couple of what we take to be sort of landmark Marvel films. Right, because to watch all of them would take a a lifetime. There are 300 of them. Yeah, there are 752 Marvel films, and we couldn't possibly get through any of those. So we chose a number, and we'll be releasing them as these Double Down episodes. They're going to be a little atypical in the sense that we're not going to ask the same kind of questions. We're not going to do a lot of the similar things. But if you recall back to our first set of Double Down, we talked about Season 2 of Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. There are you know some continuities, right? We're looking at a development. So we're looking at these films. We watch them in chronological order, and we'll talk about them as they develop. Yes. Absolutely. Tracing a lineage. Exactly. And we started with 2008's Iron Man. Iron Man. The seed that was planted that started it all. That started, it really did start it all. This is the one that, uh, you know, launched the Marvel Cinematic Universe. God, I hate the MCU. that phrase already. I hate it already. <laughs> and that's not to say this is the first Marvel film. It's certainly not. But it's the first one in the chain of films that we still know today, right? I was just seeing Captain Marvel advertisements yesterday. So it continues. Yes, 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 yes. This, yeah, 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 you're right. There there were Spider-Man movies before this. There were X-Men movies before this. But they did not share the same sort of universe or tell a giant interwoven story uh, like the other films do now and uh this is the film that starts that 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 really kicks that into gear and maybe that for this episode we'll focus in on some of those things that you know really spread the roots i don't know i'm trying to continue the plant metaphor but what (laughs) the mcu really kicks off but before we do any of that maybe it'd be useful for us to get a plot synopsis because it's been 10 years since that film was released Yes, that's true. Now, my plot synopsis itself will take 10 years because, you know, these Marvel movies, it just is so much, there's just so much plot. There's a lot of plot. So bear with me here and we're going to run through this. Shall we? We shall. 
Iron Man is the story of Tony Stark, a billionaire playboy CEO who runs a weapons manufacturing company. See, the first sentence already is a mouthful. (laughs) At the the start of the film, Tony is abducted by a Taliban-esque group while demonstrating his newest weapon in the Middle East. During the attack, which allows the Ten Rings, that's the name of the group, to capture Tony, he is injured by one of his own company's weapons and shrapnel is lodged in his chest. When he awakens, he discovers that his cellmate has manufactured an electromagnet that will stop the movement of the shrapnel and save his life. The Ten Rings want Tony to build a missile for them, but Tony refuses and instead creates a tiny arc reactor to power his electromagnet so that he can unhook it from the car battery that his cellmate has jerry-rigged for him, and then builds an armor suit to allow him to escape captivity. During the escape, his cellmate, whose name is Yin Sen, is gravely injured, and Tony is able to destroy all of the Ten Rings' Stark weaponry technology stuff Uh, and of course escape when he returns to the u.s he announces that stark industries will stop manufacturing weapons to the horror of the board of directors and to his mentor obadiah stain obadiah surreptitiously convinces the board to cut tony out of control while tony builds a more advanced version of his armor suit in secret at his home lab. There's a, You can tell there's a lot of plot here. While working on his suit, Tony replaces his own tiny arc reactor with a better one with the help of his assistant, Pepper Potts. Not long after, she gives Tony a little showcase box containing the old reactor with a little uh, note that says that it's proof that Tony Stark has a heart because he's kind of a Playboy CEO asshole. Uh, During this period, Tony attends one of his own charity events and discovers that his weapons are continuing to be used by the Ten Rings to conduct terrorist activities, and so he uses his new suit to fly to Afghanistan and destroy a unit of the terrorists and their weapon stores. During his return home, Tony is tailed by two American fighter jets under orders from his best friend, Lieutenant Colonel James Rhodes, and before he decides to reveal his identity to Rhodes, he accidentally engages the jets and destroys one. Shortly after, Tony realizes that the weapons used by the Ten Rings have been sold to them by Obadiah, who is trying to consolidate power in the company and take it over. Tony also learns that Obadiah ordered the hit on him that resulted in his captivity in Afghanistan. Further, Obadiah has reverse-engineered Tony's original suit, making it larger and more powerful than the original. Obadiah steals Tony's tiny arc reactor out of his chest in order to power this suit, almost killing Tony, and then Tony uses the old reactor to save his life and power his suit. Pepper Potts and several government agents try to arrest Obadiah, but they're overpowered. Tony arrives to fight his friend, but is bested due to the deteriorated state of his arc reactor. Tony and Pepper are eventually able to overload the original giant arc reactor that powers the main company building and kill Obadiah, and the next day, the government uh, agents instruct Tony to lie about the events of the previous night and deny his identity as Iron Man, but Tony refuses, and as the film ends, he announces that he is indeed Iron Man. Holy crap, Ethan. It's a lot of plot. A lot of things happen. We should mention, it's only two hours long. It's not a very long movie, but it's it is... It's actually a little bit shorter than that because the credits are like 15 minutes long. 
Right. And there's a couple things that I guess we'll just sort of briefly dip into these. Two of the things that make this part of the MCU, it's got those after credit sequence. The the after credits, the hidden after credit scenes, this film is the one that really, I mean, obviously other films had done that before, but this is the film that, that kicks this off and makes this a thing. So you can't go to any movie in the theater anymore and not sit through 45 minutes of credits so that you can see a 10 second clip to tell you about the next movie. And in this particular case, it's Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. Yes, as Nick Fury, who is, I guess, a super spy who runs uh, this government agency, S.H.I.E.L.D., that will put together the Avengers group. We'll talk about it next episode. It's a lot going on. So everyone knows that, like, these are the S.H.I.E.L.D. people. They get the Avengers, and that's what we're building to. Iron Man's an Avenger. All the films that come after this are piecing together the Avengers. Yes. The government agents you were talking about in the film are S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, yeah. I think that show is still on, right? Like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Oh, God. And there and how many seasons of that are there? To, to really understand any of this shit, you have to... There's such a time investment. <laughs> because yeah. Because there are, there are how many Marvel television shows now that are part of this. There's how many seasons of each show. And then there's something like, what? There are like 20 films now. Maybe not quite that many. I can think of like three shows on netflix alone yes on netflix although a bunch of them just got canceled i think oh well maybe they're cleaning house but there are quite a few of them this is a very prolific and all-consuming <laughs> mass yes. the yes. mcu but a couple of things i wanted to mention before we get any deeper into iron man iron man is played by robert downey jr RDJ. robert downey jr seems to be reprising his role as a heroined up younger robert downey jr in the first part yes. of the film he just plays himself, really. Yeah, you've got Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> as Pepper Potts. Ah, yes, Gwyneth Paltrow. And you've got a villain played by an actor who typically plays villains, and he also shaves his head because you can't know he's a bad guy unless he's bald. Unless he's bald. Which is actually something we'll see continued in this franchise. And what's his name? He's the Big Lebowski. Uh, Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges. I thought it was Bo Bridges. Nope, that's the Big Lebowski himself, Jeff Bridges, which is a, a kind of a bizarre choice. This is a pretty star-studded cast. It's kind of a get, isn't it? Right. right. Maybe that's why I thought this, because I was like, there's no way that's Jeff Bridges, right? Oh, it straight up is, yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's crazy to me. It is wild. So you've got Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts, Jeff Bridges, Robert Downey Jr. So we're not wanting for stars. No, not at all. And I think that's important because that also continues in the MCU. Yes. We get some very big stars. Some other actors are not all that big, but then, of course, have this meteoric rise because of these films. So right, it does kind of get convoluted in there. Yeah, definitely. Ethan, you've seen this film before. I, You know, I saw this film in the, in the theater t- uh, 10 years. Well, I guess a little more than 11 years ago now. Or no, a little more than 10 years, I mean. Yeah, I, I've also seen this in theaters as it was released. It was a very big deal. And I'm wondering if that is a cultural moment that we were a part of because I remember having a great amount of excitement in going to see this film. Uh, I'll say this. Uh, This is how I felt about the whole thing. Um, And and I've done a little bit of reading about it. 
I remember being like, I don't know who the fuck Iron Man is. I've never even heard of Iron Man before, but it looked really cool. And, I mean, I knew that there was a uh, a Black Sabbath song, Iron Man, and I I vaguely understood that there was a comic book character out there, but I knew nothing about Iron Man. You know, I was like, why is there this weird movie about uh, some sort of, like, B superhero? Um, and, And from what I've read, you know, People's expectations, uh, you know, critics and, and, and otherwise, were not dissimilar from the my sort of expectations. People were like, you're taking kind of a B-list superhero, uh, you know, it, which is to say it's not like Superman or Batman or, you know, Wolverine or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And turning it into this triple A giant blockbuster film um, – and, and I will say that I was very pleasantly surprised. I remember really enjoying this uh, a decade ago, and, and I still enjoy it for the most part today. Yeah, so the reason I asked you this question is because I had seen the Spider-Mans, I had seen the X-Men yes, of course. before this, and I think what really makes something like Iron Man stand apart from those and kicks off the MCU in a way that's sustainable, right? we see the cinematic universes wither on the vine all the time wasn't there like the dark universe the um mgm monster ones yes that has that's fallen apart yeah and then how many times dc has tried to replicate the marvel success and has failed as well and i think the major factor was that these marvel films are incredibly character focused these characters have personality they have life they have vibrancy that you see immediately with robert daniel jr i mean he's an asshole but yes. it's a personality that people can understand to be human. Well, and, and I'm with you. And I think that if you compare this to the films, the superhero films that come immediately before the big ones, X-Men uh, and, and even Spider-Man to an extent, um, this film does not take itself seriously in the way some of these other superhero films in the in the past had including the the Batman stuff right that mm-hmm. comes out um the you know the, those the Nolan Batman films are incredibly serious in tone um and try to stick to a pretty realistic approach uh Iron Man does not Iron Man revels in pop culture references in the sort of silliness of, of it all um you know and and that's a a, a pretty big turn away from things like X-Men um, and and even to an extent Spider-Man. Yeah, it's not grimdark. It's not self-serious. It is willing to treat these like comic books. They are escapes. Yes. yes. They are. This is not nearly as spectacle-based as I think we will take the later films to task for. But yes. there are big set-piece battles. There's tanks shooting Iron Man out of the sky. He fights another robot at the end. And, you know, we're definitely yeah. invested in why my mind immediately turns to King Kong, right? The T-Rex and King Kong. That's what feels so modern about that film is that we see that again here. And I think that, you know, this film in comparison, 10 years later feels a lot more uh, buttoned up than, you know, the sort of later films and just films in general, perhaps now. Um, But, but I think it is worth noting that for the time, I mean, this, the, the sort of things we see on screen are pretty convincing, or at least were, were particularly convincing then, um, and are pretty fantastic. Um, and, 
you know, it's it's been sort of dwarfed by, I mean, even our next episode when we talk about Avengers, the first Avengers, right, that this sort of spectacle dwarfs this by, you know, however many multiple Orders of magnitudes, right? right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think at the time, this... You know, I, I even just thinking about the kind of special effects we see in something again like X Men or Spider Man. You know, this this is pretty fantastic. Um, in in the not fantastic like I love it, fantastic, but but also it was fun. Um, but like fantastic in the in the idea of fantasy. Um, you know, you you see Robert Downey Jr. flying around, crashing into jets. Uh, you know, you've like you said, there's the giant robot battle at the end. I mean, there's there's some serious stuff here that I think we it's easy to take for granted ten years later. Yeah, absolutely. But that is not to say I'm without my issues with this film. Of course, yeah. I think primarily among this is this weird ethnocentrist, perhaps racist narrative that we have with him being in prison and also having to be liberated, and it's all really white people yeah um i would say that the the sort of 10 rings aspect that aspect of the script has not aged particularly well it feels very uh much of a i mean it feels like the end of the bush years it has a little bit of like you know dated jingoistic sort of sort of thing i mean in in the same way that I guess you've got uh you know Bond fighting Russians and shit like that. Sure, but the thing I think I push even more against that is all the Americans are white minus Rhodes. Rhodes, Rhodes yeah. is like your token. He needs to be the sidekick, and he's black. Right. But all the American soldiers are white. Yeah. Everyone on that staff is white. Here, when he goes there. You know, I guess we're guessing it's Afghanistan, right? They don't really give us. Uh, no, I think at some point they say Afghanistan. Okay, I must have missed that. But everyone's white there. Ten rings, of course, are all there. We have to assume they're supposed to be Afghani, but Afghani I'm sure the actors or... they got, they, I'm sure they weren't incredibly careful about who they right. got for that. I'm sure, and yeah, and I think that, I think you're right. The portrayal of of the of the ten rings as villains feels very one-dimensional they're bad because they're afghani or because they're brown you know what i mean and americans are good because they're white it's kind of what i think is is sort of hovering around that however what i will say i think this is a great segue what i was really surprised with watching this you know 10 years later um is how much of an indictment of you know sort of american capitalistic foreign policy this film is i mean tony stark's big thing is that he's like yeah we're not we're not selling weapons and ruining lives you know across the globe anymore um which is a really sort of interesting shift especially for a a film that does kind of revel in in this weird whitewashed it, it it balances this this jingoism and this sort of whitewashing with this I think this deep desire to be critical of foreign policy of American foreign policy to an extent, don't you think? There's there's a moment at the climax of the film when he's fighting Stain, which is mm-hmm. of course you know bad guy name, mm-hmm. in his giant mech versus Iron Man. Right. That Stain says, "This isn't yours, Tony. You can't just own ideas." 
once you've made them, they belong in the world and everyone can use them for the destruction of others, basically. So there's right. this weird intellectual property debate they're having in the middle mm -hmm. of this battle. And I thought, wow, that's incredibly interesting because we do get this whitewashed American identity, but also undercut by this capitalistic, all-consuming, all-ends point toward war, and all right. ideas are are not yours, right? We have the right to take them from you to right. to use for our ends, which are war. So I thought that, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on this, right? That there is something very, let's call it nuanced, about the position this mm -hmm. film is taking. Or at least it wants to be. I think it wants to be. I'm not sure that it is, is quite as successful as... It, it could be. And I think that this is also I'm, – I'm glad you pointed that out because I think how ridiculously ironic that that is something that is, is addressed straightforwardly in this film when they are now owned by Disney who actively works against allowing things to enter public domain, right? Mm -hmm. Like – uh, so this idea, so that the villain, the idea that the villain here is saying your ideas belong to everybody and then he must be defeated, right, is, I mean, that, that is what Disney does. Disney says they, they knock down, you know, they will fight to maintain copyright in order to make money. There's also something to be said about the fact that this is either the first film or one of the first films that is separate from that Fox Marvel cinematic. Yes. Or we're talking about X-Men, we're talking about Spider-Man. Both of those are a part of fox and that's why you don't get wolverine as yeah from what i understand a very important avenger never in the yeah. avengers right oh i think i think spider-man is sony maybe not or is it fox as well maybe it's maybe it was both but i think sony owns the rights now or yeah did. There's, I, i'm not gonna pretend to understand the shuffling about all i know is right. that they were separate and maybe those were separate on the same side of the fence or separate on different sides maybe there's like yeah. four sides of the fence here but the fact that you're talking about intellectual property and making this film that's coming out against this other tiny clustered universe of other right. Marvel characters also seems to be kind of wry or funny in its own way. Yeah. It's, 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 in, it is incredibly complicated. I think at the end of the day to understand not only just the plot of the Marvel cinematic universe, but also, you know, the, the sort of the behind the scenes building of that is, is in and of itself incredibly complicated. There's, there's so much going on and there's so many moving parts and and it can be very intimidating, I think. Agreed. So, Ethan, where do we come down on this film? It is the genesis of the MCU for our intents and purposes, I suppose. Yes. Are we right at this point in our viewing? Are we right to condemn the Marvel films? You know, I think that it is it, it's hard to condemn this film because it does do a lot of things right. However, this is the film that opens the door for and you and we can see the beginnings of, like we were talking about spectacle earlier you can see the beginning of of this you know uh what what amounts essentially to an animated film i mean i, I how many cgi shots are in this film i would wager a, a pretty significant amount um and and you know the further we get into this the more and more you just have people's faces superimposed onto giant cgi set pieces um and so this opens the door for that. That is not to say, though, I think this film does have a sort of cerebral aspect to it. It does ask us to 
you know, uh, think about where the United States and where capitalism fits in the world and how it affects people's lives and how what it has to do with violence. Um, it raises qu questions of intellectual property. It attempts to address, you know, female characters as more than just, you know, uh, one-dimensional sidekicks. Is it successful in that respect? I don't think so. Um but, you know, at the very least, Pepper Potts is more than just his assistant or girlfriend, right? She proves to be a little more... I, she's not just being saved from, you know, he's not swinging in like Spider-Man to save her. Uh, so, I, you know, it's it's hard to, to really condemn this particular film whole hog, you know, out of hand. Yeah, but I think we need to keep our eyes on some of these things, right? So we're thinking about the place of women in these films, the place of non-white characters, yeah. CGI, and yeah. I'd also like to add to the list these massive sort of spectacle-based fights. I'm thinking, again, King Kong, T-Rex yes, yes. I'm thinking that kind of fight in this universe. I think we'll see more of that. So let's keep our eyes on those. Yeah, for but sure. I think that'll do it for this one. And as Ethan mentioned earlier, we'll be back in a couple of days with 2012's The Avengers. The Avengers. That's our, we're, we're moving right along here. We're skipping a couple of the stinkers and moving to the big ones. But until then, I've been Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. I am Spoilers Man. There Will Be Spoilers 100 Films 100 Podcasts was created and hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. Matt Bazell produces our episodes each week. Our music was created by the strange and unusual Breakmaster Cylinder who you can find all over the internet. Our artwork was created by Becca Knight who can be found on Twitter at Becca the Knight. And that's Knight with a K. You can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast you can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com slash spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for more spoilers.